trust you found your place in the book of Psalms 103. Psalm 103 for the preaching of God's word. And I'll be reading from verse 1 down to verse number 14. Psalm 103 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you for the comfort and the strength, the hope that we can find in it. We thank you for being the God that you are, for working in our lives in a very special way. We thank you for the needs that you've met and the prayers you've answered and the doors you've opened. Dear Lord, you have been a good God to us. And we come before you today seeking your face once again, not only your help, but as well your guidance and your wisdom for the variety of different situations that we deal with and are dealing with. I ask the Lord that you would bless the preaching of your word and that you would use it to strengthen some heart, that you would also save some lost soul someone who doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior may today be the day of their salvation and that every believer would be challenged to take a closer walk with you. Give me the words you'll have me to say. Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your precious Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus said the Lord. And we will be careful to thank you, praise you, and give you all the honor and glory that's due your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. War is a part of the human existence that has a great deal of uncertainty and unpredictability associated with it. 
There is no telling how long a war is going to last once it starts. And there is no telling how many casualties will result. I believe that one of the reasons for this unpredictability, this uncertainty, is that the counter response of the opponent itself is always unpredictable. There is no way to guarantee that when one party in this war acts, there is no way to know for sure how the opponent is going to respond to that action. And as such, a cycle of action and response can take place and can continue for an undetermined and indefinite period of time. The longest wars have taken up to hundreds of years. In fact, the longest war in history is believed to be the Reconquista, English for that, Spanish for Reconquest, a war that is said took 781 years. Yet, my friend, beyond these physical wars that we observe and have read about in history, there is a war that has transcended time itself. This war that I speak of today, my friend, is a spiritual war. It is a war that is taking place between right and wrong, good and evil. And we've observed that this war started, originated in heaven itself when Satan determined that he wanted to be like the Most High. This pride that originated in his heart evolved to the point where he influenced one-third of the angels and they were subsequently cast out of heaven. We've examined the reasons for this war. We've looked at the results of this war. The greatest result being the presence of sin. We've looked as well as, as well at the realm of this war. That this war, my friend, is not fought with guns and sticks and stones and tanks and battleships. But this war takes place in a spiritual realm. But this morning, I want us to look at the response to this war. The response to this war. Satan did his thing. Satan responded out of a desire for supremacy. And God responded. Response to any action is very impactful and very significant. I remember my high school days. and I remember an occasion where I was being bullied. And this bullying brought me great stress. It brought me anxiety. It brought me fear. And it would go on and on and days and weeks 
And I remember very clearly going to a friend of mine who was a couple of years older, and I complained about the young boy who was bullying me. And he took matters into his own hands, and he asked me to point out who it was. He found him, and he got a few other of his friends to grab him, and they literally held him, and they instructed me to pick up a piece of pipe. And they held him and gave me the pipe and told me while they're holding him to hit him across his body with the pipe. I had the pipe in my hand and I looked at them while they held him and I could not bring myself to hurt him with the pipe. The good news is after that incident and I put down the pipe, the bullying discontinued. But I say that to say that a response to any action has a major impact on the course that that incident will take in the future. You see, my friend, the response of Almighty God is so important because his response has determined the ultimate result of this war. Now, I want us to observe as we examine God's response. Before we can get into the details of how God has responded and what he has done in response to Satan's actions, it's critical and important for us to first examine who God is. You see, my friend, before approaching someone, it's best to learn some things about them. You'd be better prepared to interact with that individual. You'd be better have a better understanding of what they like, what they don't like, what's appropriate and what's not. You see, many times we misinterpret the actions and responses of people because we don't know them well enough. We judge their actions based on how we are, how we would respond, and what we would do, and how we think. But if we're going to understand God's response this morning, I want us to take the time to examine a few of his attributes that are relevant to understanding his response. Now, we won't get into the details of God's response this morning, but I want us to really examine some characteristics about this God. Because if we truly understand uh, these attributes, the character and the nature of God is going to help us to properly assess his response and how his response is relevant to our lives. And so I want you to jot down, first of all, we're looking at this morning the response of Almighty God, but we want to look particularly today at some attributes of God. Who is God? What is he like? Is he just the man upstairs who fixes all of our problems? 
Notice, first of all, I want us to observe in Psalm 103, a very important characteristic of Almighty God. It says in verse number one, this is the characteristic of God's holiness. Notice the Bible says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen? My friend, God's holiness, this is his absolute purity. God is completely free of this vice called sin. He's perfect in every way. James chapter 1 and verse 13 says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Verse number 17 of the same chapter says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. My friend, the God that we serve, the God of the universe, is very important to understand that he is a holy God. But when we think about God's holiness, how often do we say, oh, that's God. That's good for God. God understands that he alone is holy. But that's not me. I don't, I don't have to be holy. God will understand. Jesus did not yield to temptation, but that's Jesus. He's the God man. He doesn't expect that of me. Jesus loved his enemies, but can he really expect me to do the same? My friend, do you know that God's holiness is also the standard for his people? Look with me at Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 44 and 45. This is God speaking. He says, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be what? Holy. For I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you out, up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. It's repeated. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 to 16 also recalls this reference when he says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. This attribute of God, of holiness, is very important for us to keep in mind as we think about God's response this war that is raging. But I want you to notice secondly, not only God's holiness but a word that is often closely associated with his holiness and that is his righteousness. Psalm 116 and verse 5 says gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Now I want us to take a little bit of a deep dive into this word called righteous. In speaking of God, 
attribute. Now, in his book, Introducing Christian Doctrine, Millard Erickson describes God's righteousness as in two aspects. The law of God and his actions in accordance with his law. So, when we think of God's law, God's word, his word is pure. His word is righteous. But his response in accordance with his word as well is righteous. Both of these are perfect. Now, for those of you who are in school right now, and even if you're not in school, you would have recalled being in school. That's most of us. You would think, you would recall that in subjects like math and science especially, you might be trying to solve a problem and you have the right concept. But as you are solving the problem, you make an error in the calculation. Now a teacher who is looking at your work would give you some credit, some points, for the fact that you had the right concept. But because you have made an error in the calculation, you cannot get the full marks for that particular question. You get what's called partial points. Because the entire solution is not correct. Now, when we think about God's righteousness, understand that God's law is perfect. But God also executes righteousness perfectly in accordance with his law. Notice what Psalm 19 says, and we read this during our scripture reading. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. That's verse number 7. Converting the soul, the testimony, of the, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. My friends, so what that means is God's righteousness is seen in his word. It's seen in his commandments. It's seen in what he instructs us. So when we look at the word of God, we can have confidence that his word is right. It is righteous. Is an expression of who God is in his nature. But understand that not only is God's law righteous, but look back at Psalm 103 and verse number 6. It says, the Lord executeth, what? Righteousness. Now understand that God's law is going to benefit us because his law is perfect, it's righteous. But God himself acts in accordance with his word. So he acts righteously. We know that there are times in our society where man makes laws, but the same individuals who make the laws break the same laws. God is not like that. Amen? He executes what is right. His righteousness is not just his state, but it is demonstrated in his actions towards us. 
Now, if you pay attention to what's happening in our nation, and you probably hear it in other nations as well, but I've been hearing it a lot recently, that you hear about laws that have been passed, but they have not been operationalized. Anybody hear that? You hear, oh, the law is passed, but, but it is not operationalized. In, in other words, it, it seems as though it's not being executed. It, it's not functioning, my friend. But when it comes to God's righteousness, God's righteousness is operationalized. He functions in a righteous way in accordance with his word. So notice and observe with me the holiness of God. It's very important to understand God is perfect, completely free and devoid of sin. He is righteous. But notice a third attribute of God is his justice. His justice. Verse number 6 Notice what the verse says. The Lord executeth righteousness and what? Judgment for all that are oppressed. Now you say, what's the difference between righteousness and justice? Now God's individual response to his law is seen in his righteousness. But his justice is him confirming his law in relating to others to ensure that they conform to it. Justice in a country means that the residents or anyone who breaks the law is appropriately and fairly held to a standard by which everyone is expected to live. When that happens, we say there is justice. If you're thrown into prison and someone else in exactly the same situation or position as you is let go, we would say there is no justice. Because they were not held to the same standard. They were not expected to conform to the law. Justice means fairness. Justice means equity. Justice is an attribute of Almighty God. Peter, when he went to Cornelius' house, was hesitant. But when he saw that this Gentile Cornelius received the gospel and his entire household was saved. Peter said in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. That's who God is. He's a just God. It's very important to understand this attribute of Almighty God if we're going to properly understand his response in this war. We've seen thus far, God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. But here's a fourth attribute I want you to consider this morning. And that is 
the love of God. The love of God. First John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. My friend, this is God's nature. This is his essence. We don't have the words in the English language or in any language in our vocabulary to adequately express the love of God. But this morning I want us to consider two demonstrations of God's love as we try to understand how his love manifests itself in our lives. Notice with me, first of all, God's love is seen in his mercy. Look at verse number 8 of Psalm 103. The Bible says, the Lord is what? Merciful. Thank God for his mercy. Mercy is holding back from us that which we rightly deserve. The convicted felon is due a sentence of 25 years, but the judge gives him 15. That is mercy. Psalm 86 and verse 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. My friend, make no mistake about it. Man, woman, boy or girl, you are a recipient of God's mercy every single day. We ought to be mindful of it. Lamentation chapter 3 and verse 22 and 23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. My friend, when you open your eyes this morning, you are a recipient of God's mercy. We must come to grips with the fact that God is merciful. And he's merciful because of his love towards you and his love towards me. Don't take it for granted. But notice, not only we see God's love through his mercy, but we see God's love through his grace. Verse number 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. That means full of grace. I'm thankful for God's grace. Listen, it's good to have mercy. Mercy is withholding back from us that which we deserve, but grace is giving us that which we did not deserve. And he gives us what we did not deserve because of his goodness. Not our goodness, his goodness. We need to know that. 
We need to be aware of that. We need to be conscious of that. You know why? Because when we walk around with all the good stuff he's blessed us with, we don't have an attitude of entitlement. We say, God, I didn't deserve this, but you give it to me anyway. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. You know, sometimes our problem is we walk around as if we deserve it. We earned it. No, we did not. And that's why even when we don't get what we think we deserve, we ought to realize, listen, it's grace and mercy anyway. Mercy and grace. Let me explain it like this. Imagine that you were not eligible. Maybe due to some restriction imposed on you. That you were not eligible to compete in a particular race. But somehow, somebody decided to have mercy on you. And they waived or they lifted the restrictions and they let you enter the race that you were prior to ineligible to enter. That's mercy. But imagine after you entered the race, the individual decided to help you. The individual decided to, to assist you. Decided to help you to compete. To give you supplements. To help you train. To give you medical assistance so that you could win the race. That's grace. Thank God for his mercy and his grace. Without it, where would we be? But here's how I want to close this morning with this. As we think, keep in mind of the context... We are examining God's attributes because we are going to look at his response. That God strikes the perfect balance between his love and his justice. You see, oftentimes we love to highlight that God is a God of love. But we forget at the same time that God also has an attribute of justice. He's going to be a God of love. But that does not divorce him from being a just God. These must be in perfect balance. To understand the importance and illustrate the importance of this, think of a, a judge. And this judge has a son who's been charged, been convicted. And this is only for illustration purposes because I would presume that if a judge has a son, he would have to recuse himself from such a case. Right, Mr. Daniel? Three thumbs up. I didn't research it, but I, I, I assumed it because it makes sense. 
But for the sake of illustration, think of if that judge, on the virtue of his abiding love for his son, proclaims, I'm going to let you go. Why? Because I love you. Can you imagine? There would be a public outcry. There would be an alarm. This judge is a corrupt judge. This judge is partial. This judge is, judge is fit to be removed from such a position. Why? Because justice was not done. You see, my friend, God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. And next week, we're going to see how these attributes impact God's response to this war that is raging. But I want us to think long and hard about who God is. Because my friend, oftentimes our perspective of God is lacking and it causes us to respond in a way that is not befitting of who he is. And so as we think about this war, and we think about its application to our lives, let's really think about this God who is real, who made us, who has given us life and breath, health and strength, that we have a responsibility to this God. Understand God's holiness completely free of sin. God's righteousness. His law is perfect. He executes his law with perfection as well. That's his righteousness. This God is also a just God. He holds every person to the same standard. He's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter one's race, one's nationality, one's level of education, how much money you have, what school you went to, rich or poor, black or white, it makes no difference. Because God is a just God. But this God, who is holy, who is righteous, who is just, is also equally a God of love. That love is demonstrated in his mercy and his grace. And in perfect balance, this God 
negotiates his love and his justice all at the same time. I want you to keep these things in mind throughout the week because when we fully grasp as best as we can with a human understanding these attributes, God's response to this raging war is going to make sense. We're going to understand why God does the things he does. And I pray that as we go about our daily task and serve him and minister to others and live our lives, that we would have a greater awareness of who this God is who we worship, who we serve, who we pray to. Because in doing so, it will awaken us to who we need to be in response to this great and awesome God.